0: i <music>
2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Saturday, April second. Derek Van Riper here with Enos Saris. Our first podcast on a Saturday. We have <laughs> we've done about three hundred episodes of Rates and Barrels uh, at last count. Maybe this is number three hundred. If it is, confetti. Uh, and this is the only time we've ever recorded on a Saturday. And it might be a one time occurrence. We may never record on a Saturday again. We could do this podcast for a hundred more years, and a Saturday may not ever happen again. It feels weird. It feels like a bizarre world situation. We have Disneyland to thank, so I think I'll be in Disneyland
0: Monday and Tuesday, and so we wanted to get a podcast out to you before that whole thing went down.
2: I think the lockout is the real cause, because you booked a trip <laughs> based on the season starting a couple of days ago, not a couple of days from now, and here we are. But Well, I mean, eyes wide open. I was like, either the
0: season gets shoved and we're fine, or the season starts on time and we're fine. And then the season decided to get shoved but very little just a little <laughs> so that yep. I'm sh- I'm hurrying down from Disneyland to San Diego uh, to to do some live blogging for opening day and I think everything will be fine but uh, mm-hmm. it's uh it's a uh, riding a nice edge
2: Yeah we've got a live episode of the 30 show on Wednesday the day before Wednesday. opening day I hope I said Wednesday maybe I didn't Um, So keep an eye out on the Twitter accounts for that. But there's actually a ton of news. Teams are making decisions. Injuries, which seemed generally mild for the first couple weeks of spring training, have ramped up. And unfortunately, that includes Jacob deGrom and his shoulder. The injury has been diagnosed as a stress reaction in the scapula. He's been shut down from throwing for four weeks. This gives me an opportunity
0: to right a wrong. I did make a mistake. I said that it is easier for ligaments to heal than bones. It's actually the other way around. So sales injury and this one can get blood to the area easier. It's actually easier to get blood to the bone than it is to the ligament. I don't know why that is. If you think if you ask Dr. Nick, I'd be like, hello, (laughs) of course, to the the muscly parts, not to the bone. But uh, apparently that is true. So that might be good for sale. This one uh, is a tricky injury, and I don't I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how bad it is. I will say that uh, Brandon McCarthy came out and said that this is something he dealt with uh, over the course of his career. And he came back from it within season um, a a couple times. So he seemed to suggest that it may not be the uh, biggest deal. Uh, There were others. Uh, I think Kurt Ainsworth. Um, Korea, Korea. Who was his first name? The reliever? C-O-R-R-E-A. Matt? Mm, I don't think it's a Matt. Anyway, there's been some people who've had like the season ending. I think somebody uh, got it in June and came back in September. Uh, so that would be a terrifying timeline, I think. But just the timeline, let's say he just follows the timeline that they've stated. I think you're right to point out that he would stop throwing for four to four weeks, and then he'd have to at least have a two or three week rank up. So we're now we're talking about. Missing six weeks, eight weeks?
2: Yeah, I mean, four weeks of not throwing, that's pretty much April. And Mm. ramping back up in May, two to three weeks might be more aggressive, three to four weeks probably a little more conservative. That's pretty much May, so we're talking early June. Before DeGrom is potentially back. And then, of course, he has to get through all that rehab without having a setback. He has to be healthy once he starts pitching in games again. So what are we it's talking a, about? 100 innings? I wouldn't expect more than that. Yeah. If you draft him and you get the discount. And I think at this point, it's mostly in leagues that have IL spots. I think if you're playing in the remaining NFBC leagues or situations it's where really you've only hard got.
0: hard to nurse a guy for two months.
2: It's really okay. We went through this with Tatis though on the position player side. It's a similar timetable to Tatis, but I think with Tatis, even though it's a hitter and a wrist injury, I'm still more confident in that than a pitcher with a shoulder.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I could see that being. uh, You just uh, it it just seems less likely that Tatis will just miss the whole season, whereas it seems like still on the table (laughs) that Degrom just missed the whole season. You know, so right uh, that that part's there. Um the he could put up a ton of value though especially in IL leagues I am still interested and this is why rankings are really tough um you know I have I have I would put him around 50 maybe in my rankings cuz my rankings are for people that have IL leagues and also people who don't you know so it's like uh I think uh, around 50 is where I had Kershaw before we saw him pitch right where it's like I think he's going to be good if he's in but we don't know you know Around 50 is where the healthy guys you're taking have large injury risks. Round 50 is where I have Means and Urquidy, which I, bo- I like both of those guys, but they, in Zimmerman's model, both had, like, 50-day IL-day prediction projections. So, like, you could be taking a guy who's healthy who misses almost as much time <laughs> as the the guy, as De- Jacob deGrom, that you said, oh, no, he's hurt. I can't take him, you know? So, like, uh, I do think uh, around 50 is where it is. I think it, in NFBC formats, you're talking about more, like, I don't know, like a bench pick. I think I saw uh, Yancey Eaton talking about him going 280th. and That's that's about where a bench is. Ooh, 280. Okay. And uh, there were some mains where, you know, when the, everything looked good where he went first
2: overall in Vegas last oh, week. man. I, is, the, has there the ever been pit, a more precipitous fall than first to 280th? <laughs> the pit in my stomach. If, if, and here's, here's something. I was tweeting about this on Friday and I... I wanted to see DeGrom pitch this spring because of how his season ended. And I knew that if he did pitch this spring, when he was showing us he was healthy, if the Vila was there, that he'd go back up into that first round range. And instead of getting the discount at the round two, three turn, where he might've been available in some early, early drafts back in November and December, I just felt like like back then that wasn't enough of a discount for the longer term risk profile. And I'm wondering if my error was a process error related to what we knew about his injuries previously or a game theory problem where it's like if you're going to buy it all you buy at the discount because if you believe there's a good enough chance he's healthy two or three weeks of spring training shouldn't change your mind realistically like the only time to buy would have been early or you shouldn't have bought it all because there was enough information or enough of a shutdown last year to say no this is just as great as he is as much as we want him to pitch it's way too risky at that price. I'm still not sure where I've landed on the, how this I is, got it wrong, but I was wrong. This is what
0: I was getting at. Uh, I tweet about this. And I said that my ranking of fourth for him from the beginning of the off season, baked in risk, right? Baked in injury risk. He would be number one for me if I thought he was healthy, right? So he I already baked in some risk. And even when everyone was saying he's healthy, he's still a, he still had the uh, theoretical risk of injury, right? Not actual, not like he is injured correct now. So there's the, there's actual injury versus theoretical sort of injury risk, right? So I never would have taken him first because even when people were talking, he still held injury risk. Like, let's say you think they're both healthy, Wheeler and DeGrom going into the season. You think they're both healthy. They have different injury projections. I mean, they have to they just they've had different injury outcomes for the last 5 years or so, right? So like they would have different injury bars on them. So I did take Wheeler at a discount in the fourth because I said the I'm not sure this is an actual injury. I think this is still theoretical, right? I feel like maybe that's good process, right? Like as soon as they have an actual injury That changes everything. If it's still theoretical, then it's in the realm of risk, and it's like then you just want to get a discount. You know what I mean? So I don't think you were like I don't think you were wrong to like, especially don't think you were wrong to not to take him in the first round.
2: You know, but were you wrong to not take him? I would have done it. I would have taken him in the late part of the first round in the last. 10 days or so had the circumstances just put him there.
0: I just, well, got we lucky. are human just... beings and we, you know, we get caught up in things and it's, it seemed like he was throwing really nice and you know.
2: Yeah. I just, I'm trying to figure but out. I think if you error... try to
0: remember that risk. I think when everyone's getting super excited about someone, you try to remember the risk. And when everyone's super down on someone, you try to remember the upside. And the real difference is sort of the difference between an actual injury and theoretical. So I think that for me Wheeler's uh you know shoulder soreness in the offseason was kind of like okay so up his theoretical injury risk but not he's not actually currently injured. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That but I think that's the that's the fine line we're trying to figure out, right? Because they always they always give us some little piece of information. Oh, he's got a little soreness. Was this actual
2: injury or is this still theoretical? <laughs> I mean, you could go through this with non-arm injuries too. They're going through it with Max Scherzer right now. He's got a hamstring, hamstring injury. They say it's minor. He said he's pitched through hamstring injuries like that before. and It's kind of like, all right, I feel fine about that. This was part of why he was lower for me.
0: Again, that to me, that was baked in. Neck, back, you know.
2: Right, because if you didn't have that, if you didn't have that recent actual injury history, then Scherzer would have gone five to seven picks earlier. He just, yeah, yeah. that's, where he would go based on performance with a a clean bill of health. Now, this leaves the Mets in a a bad short-term spot for sure if both of these guys are hurt, because the thing I've been chirping all season was at least they've got Scherzer if something does happen to DeGrom. (laughs) Scherzer questionable for opening day right now, and it doesn't look like Scherzer's going to be a multi-week IL stint. If he goes on the IL, it seems like it'd be a relatively quick sort of thing. Fingers Mm -hmm. crossed for, for him and for anybody who's got him right now. This puts Tyler McGill firmly in the short-term rotation plan. He's been rostered in a lot of leagues that have been drafted over the last three months anyway. If you're in a shallow league where he's out there, I think he's viable. And Now it puts David Peterson as the the next man up, failing some kind of trade earlier in the day on Saturday. There were rumblings of a possible Padres-Mets deal that could have sent Chris Paddock to the Mets. Uh, So All this is to say, the opportunity for Tyler McGill... This isn't the way we wanted it to happen, but this is a guy that was impressive with some of the opportunities he had last season.
0: Yeah, he doesn't have uh, an above-average fastball, but he does have two good secondaries. I think that's why you saw the home run rate the way it was. I do think that there's some opportunity for him to maybe throw fewer fastballs, throw sliders when he needs strikes, Uh, a couple times, Uh, he looked like the command was there uh, for him to do something like that. So if he can trust his slider for some strikes instead of the fastball, maybe he can bring that home run rate down. He should at least be a low fours guy uh, with decent strikeout rate because he has two good secondaries. It's also kind of rare to see a guy that has a good slider and a good change. Uh, So that's a good place to start. Um, And I think that we even talked about him and many other six starters as... Uh, being having value this year of averaging 100 to 120 innings because of uh, just modern baseball and the, the the need teams have for six starters and how much they use them. Uh, so I think Magill's uh, possible innings totals maybe bump it up to 140 this year. He may get uh, as much as other third and fourth starters and uh, and be a decent decent play. Um, I don't know that I would go running to the wire and dropping, you know, like a $25 uh, free free agency auction bid, like an FAAB bid on him like that, um, just because he probably fits into a class of pitchers uh, if he's on your wire uh,
2: that might be just as good. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably an upgrade over Cal Quantrill, maybe, if you've got a situation like that. I don't know if I'd go all in, expensive fab to do it right. but I think there's an upgrade to be had there I think I like McGill more than Josiah Gray you know guys that are going in the similar range ADP wise I can kind of talk myself into McGill for a lot of the other starters those that are, two
0: names <laughs> well yeah you don't
2: you don't like Josiah Gray uh, at all the uh, the DeGrom uh-huh. question though to close the book on him In leagues with IL spots, I think inside your top 50 starting pitchers, I think is fair. I'd be comfortable with that with IL spots because what you do get on a per inning basis might be outstanding, even if it is 100 innings instead of the 180 plus that we were hoping for. In the non-IL situations, I I, I don't know if there's enough of a discount that I'd ever get. I mean, maybe in the pick 200 range, you mentioned that draft that, that Yancey, Throughout there, pick two eighties. The latest he's gone so far. I guess if he's still sitting there at that point, that's an easy cut. As soon as you need the spot, and you could just wait and see. But you have to. Yeah, be but the to thing is, like
0: mentally, once you put that Jacob Degrom on your roster, it's like <laughs> oh, it's an easy cut, and then you're like. <gasps> I got Jacob to my roster. I got to keep him there as long as I can.
2: <laughs> it's an easy drop based on draft day cost. Right. It, it, it's a very difficult drop Once based on at that clicking name. the name and actually yeah. pushing the button and submitting it and feeling good about it and feeling like, oh, yeah, no, he's not going to go on someone else's roster in a few weeks and come back and be himself. And I'm not going to regret that. You just have to have that that sort of <laughs> conviction when the time comes. Well, I got, a, I got a free kick at the can for a few weeks, need the roster spot okay, I move on, I get something else. I think that's the way you have to play it. And as we've said with all these injured guys, you know, Sale, Flaherty, one is pretty much all you can get away with when you're stashing without IL spots. But you can have a couple of them in shadow leagues with IL spots, stash them because you're playing for ceiling in leagues like that. And you, know, you solve the problem later. If you end up with too much depth, make a trade, open up a spot on the roster once they're finally healthy. Um, but out of like DeGrom and Sale and Flaherty, Sale is the one that I would actually feel the best about stashing, given the nature of his injury. Because there seems to be a, a bit of a finite. It's not so much like,
0: you know, oh, in four weeks, we'll see what's going on. It's more like it's a four-week injury.
2: Right. He is not throwing yet, but he said he is feeling better as of Saturday. And so. they, they already had
0: an MRI that said there was healing. So,
2: Right. Bad news for the Mets. Bad news for Jacob DeGrom. Bad news if you already have DeGrom on your team. I feel bad for you, especially if you were in... When things looked like they were going well because I would have been into had circumstances allowed me to get him in the leagues that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Let's go to the Tigers, where Spencer Torkelson is going to be on the opening day roster. We also got news that Riley Green, who fouled a ball off his foot uh, at the end of the week, actually has a broken bone in his foot. So he's going to miss about six to eight weeks before he's able to start playing in games again. So his bid for the opening day roster falls short just due to a fluke injury. I don't think Green is necessarily stashable in redraft leagues right now because that's an eight-week timetable plus maybe even a little more time for him to get acclimated to AAA pitching again before they bring him up. So while we could see him in June, Green is firmly on the watch list for me. But, you know, how much do you want to bump up Spencer Torkelson knowing that you're not going to have to wait a couple of weeks for the Tigers to give him that opportunity?
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it's hard to, like, rein in the helium in a moment like this, because this <laughs> is a top, top prospect that is now, you know, locked in to to playing time. Just got like a uh, he was just presented a, a, a glove by Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> I think it was sort of like now you are the first baseman, son. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't need this anymore. Uh, but I'm just trying to uh, pull up some uh, first base ranks. I'm doing the, the bad x uh, on the auction calculator. Uh, I don't think this is going to have Torkelson uh, in it with the right amount of playing time. So this is pretty new news. I'm not seeing him right away. But um, I would think that I would want him... Well. Uh, over Hosmer, Schwindel over Gurriel. Uh Are you going over Voigt Walker
2: France? Over Walker yes uh, over France and Voigt not quite. So this still makes him a back end first baseman in 15 team leagues. This is the problem and I have, maybe I'm being stubborn. Tell me if I'm being stubborn because AAA was not good last year compared to its usual oh, pitchers quality i'm very cautious about all hitters right now i think young pitchers are actually more interesting targets for me sure you can make exceptions you can say julio rodriguez might be good enough to make the leap from double a maybe torkelson's that person for you i just think you want to pick your spots really carefully torkelson was good at triple a last year 129 wrc plus aged to level he was 21 years old a little bit old 21-year-old. Weird, but that only struck luck. out 20% of the time, though. Yeah. I think that was just a fluke. I mean, a two thirty-three BABIP. Hits a lot of fly balls. Maybe he isn't a, a burner. So, you know, whatever. Maybe he's a lower BABIP kind of guy. I don't think he's a true talent two thirty-eight guy. That The projections have that as where he's going to be. The projections, Someone, I think, also are a little light on playing time.
0: Yeah, they only have 450 plate appearances right now. He seems like maybe set said it and forget it for that team.
2: If you said he's going to hit 250 with low 20s home run power and 70-ish runs and 70-ish RBI, something in that neighborhood, that's a good player. That's a, it's a solid corner guy. How likely is it that he just mashes right away? The power we saw last year was 30 home runs across three levels, split almost evenly. Let's time at high A, you know, 50 games at double A, 40 games at triple A power everywhere, and a really good approach. Plenty of walks, not a lot of strikeouts. So I think he's really safe, but I keep coming back to an Andrew Vaughn sort of comp for my (laughs) short-term portals and expectations. I was just looking at Andrew Vaughn's page, man. (laughs) But what's the difference? Okay, this is the other part that we don't know. What is the difference between getting to play at each of those three minor league levels over a season and then debuting versus Andrew Vaughn Hey, why don't you just come play a new position and learn how to hit big league pitching after not playing a double A and triple A like that's a it's a tougher ask on Vaughn. So I wonder if Torkelson can top what Vaughn did because the the buildup was different. How much does that extra development in the upper levels? of The minor leagues matter?
0: Yeah, and I was I was coming at it from a slightly different angle, but uh, it is interesting that these two angles that kind of put them together. Uh, Torkelson does have better raw and game power scouting grades on, on Fangraphs, and I think generally people just think he has more power than Vaughn did, and he demonstrated more power than Vaughn in the minor league stops that they both made. However, um, one thing that does make them similar is a bit of a right center approach, right? A little bit they're like these right handers. With a bit of a right-center approach, Vaughn, I can't believe this, Vaughn pulled the ball more often in the minor leagues than Spencer Torkelson. Hmm. And Vaughn, last year, in the major leagues, pulled the ball exactly as much as Spencer Torkelson did in the minors. So, uh, Apple Power is nice. It, it's part of why their strikeout rates are lower. It's part of why um, you know they theoretically could have better batting averages it's part of being a complete player i am not here to talk crap on all opposite hitting however to fully take advantage of your power to hit the most that you can hit pull power is superior to opposite field power it just is the pulled barrel does better than the opposite field barrel it has to do with batted ball spin and so on and so forth so I will be interested in what Torkelson's pull percentage will be in the major leagues. If he's pulling the ball 35% of the time like Vaughn did, then I think he's more likely to be like a 260 hitter with 20 homers. If he comes in and starts pulling the ball 40 to 45% of the time, then, then I can believe more of a 250 hitter with 30 homers. Uh, because both of those things are in that tool bag. It could
2: go either way. Um, I think fantasy players would prefer more pull power. I think you'd take 10 points off the average to get a possible you know, 8 10, to 10 more home homers. runs. Yeah, yeah. Or right. 15 more if at all I it mean, clicks. I think that's
0: what it's like. I mean, I, I, that's that's what it's like to for Torkelson to fully take advantage of his power. I think the power ceiling is, we're talking 35, 40 homers, even in Comerica.
2: All you right, right. You've, you've at least convinced me with a few parts of this argument that Torkelson probably does have a higher ceiling than Vaughn, and I have decided how much I care about the upper levels of the minor leagues actually being a part of the track record. You, you get that mm. proof. You've seen some of those things, and Vaughn didn't. I think it was a tougher ask of Vaughn than it is a Spencer I think you Torkelson. Twenty twenty-two at the
0: major league level from Vaughn, it was just like,
2: yeah, it was a slow start, and the numbers quietly got pretty good over the course of the season.
0: There is an ideal time to call a player up. You know, there is. It's not uh, a science. You see from guys like Kelenic coming up last year, and then Julio Rodriguez is just raking in in spring right now. And it looks like Julio Rodriguez is a star, and it looks like Julio Rodriguez is bound for that opening day roster. Uh, Does not mean that he will either do what Jared did or he will be a star right away. You know, it's it's a guesswork.
2: There's a ton of... Uh, There are a ton of middle ground outcomes between Jared Kelnick's big league debut and immediate superstardom. So I think Vaughn kind of shows you, right? Like what, like Vaughn, like
0: Vaughn was a middle ground. That was okay. He was, he was a league average bat, you know? And for the amount of belly aching, I included Vaughn in some sort of fake trade for, for uh, Blake Snell. And, I got you know just killed on Twitter, and like maybe that was too much, but you know everyone was talking like he was you know the you know the next Miguel Cabrera, you know, um, and then he comes up and he's just okay, it's kind of it's even harder sometimes when you look at something like that and be' like, Oh, well, that was okay.' <laughs> like, <laughs> do I, so i think probably uh, tony rusa has a, like a, a little bit of a tougher uh, situation on his hands where he's like well it was only okay you guys really want you're know, you really beating down my door here to like make sure i play vaughn more <laughs> like uh he seems like he's uh, a little bit out of luck right now wouldn't you say josh harrison was named the opening day or at least the opening day or the regular starting second baseman which pushes Larry Garcia and Adam Engel into the infield and outfield utility guys.
2: I mean, I think we're looking at a situation now because of the AJ Pollock addition. This is Andrew Vaughn sharing first base in DH with Jose Abreu. And if he's not hitting enough, they have a little more depth this year than they had a year ago. And then the playing time starts to become a problem. And, uh, but it's not just
0: that. It's just not, it's not just that because if you go Eloy, Luis, uh, Pollock across the outfield, uh, then you have uh, Engel uh, and Lurie Garcia who they will play liberally. So those guys will play. And then anytime you play Adam Engel, you say, okay, who's going to DH today? So Vaughn's not going to, and then there's Gavin Sheets may even make the the, the opening roster. If Gavin Sheets makes that roster, then Vaughn's a small side platoon DH. It's a
2: really bad role for a young player. If you think Andrew Vaughn is an impact bat and you're using him that way, you've done something wrong. If Sheets makes the roster, dude, I think the best thing for him might be to go down. He's never played there, but he was good. He didn't fall on his face last year. That just seems like a, it's a, a bad outcome. It's a,
0: yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> well, at least they traded. I mean, that's, that was the big news yesterday. Was other than Degrom was that they traded Craig Kimbrell for AJ, AJ Pollock. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who have been holding on to those, those Kimbrell shares. I had some early Kimbrell shares. I was getting pretty nervous about. Um, and then, and, and this is funny too, just because what we're talking about all these like all these like different outcomes so like there was like this initial outburst of like ah ha, ha, you suckers you know i took kimberl in the 12th or you know like whatever it was um you know and uh you know he's obvious he's gonna end up somewhere well then kimberl goes out today and pitches against the the uh, giants on saturday and just gives up, like, two homers, one to Austin Dean, was just getting batted around, didn't look that good. What if there's, like, this weird middle ground outcome where Keg Kimmel is traded to a team where he should be the closer, is the closer for a little bit, and loses it because he's lost his stuff? I mean, that would just be the the, the I told you so's would just be ringing from
2: every side, Like,
0: everybody would have thought they were right about this
2: one. I would even as somebody who just took a couple of, of late shots on Kimbrell in the past week, and that's I think the only only two teams where I have him, he was really cheap. The only reason I took him, and this was what I was He's talking like a about with the third reliever or something. <laughs> third third reliever on a team desperate for saves, and the reason I thought it made sense was it was after the twentieth round. So you say who after the twentieth round can jump shot. up to a fifth or sixth round valuation. If a trade does happen, or or a manager anoints them, or whatever, yeah. You know, like even if a manager right. said
0: today, Chris Stratton is my entire closer, you know, he wouldn't be going in the fifth. <laughs> no, he'd move up like
2: six rounds. He'd move up yeah. to the sixteenth or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's still Chris Stratton. He's still a pirate. So, right, yeah, yeah. All that is a concern. If Kimbrel is firmly inside the top seven or eight closers in terms of ADP throughout the weekend, and who knows the the outing got Saturday. It was a disaster. It was it was a double homer, homer, single, strikeout, and then he was out of the game after 19 pitches. It's one outing. It's gotta be. It's the ponytail. I just think the thing with Kimbrel that I I will always struggle with this as long as he's still trying to do what he's doing. Even if he's good this year, I'll still look back at 2019 and 2020 and wonder why was it so bad those two years? There's fewer than 40 innings combined. So maybe it's not the kind of workload that you'd ordinarily even care about, but it happened and it,
0: it just it has Jumps he off has the page. lost it
2: before, right? <laughs> like. Right. So I think he because he's lost it before for a stretch of like almost a little more than a half season, even though it spanned two different seasons, I look at that and a meltdown from him bothers me more than a meltdown from class a or presley or iglesias or the the other closers drafted in that range like I, I think we're we're quicker to react to a Kimbrel meltdown because we've been down this road a few times before edwin diaz is a little bit like that he's the younger Kimbrel. it's the best ba- command guys. i
0: think i think it's just you know just an awful command in a in given year it's not like his velo is down a little bit but not a lot
2: yeah We got into some of the specs of the fallout on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. Waiver shows every Friday this season, so be sure to check that out if uh, you're getting ready for fab waivers, whatever it is that you do in your league. And I think Pollock's value is basically the same, but I kind of see a path for him with health to play a little more than he did with the Dodgers. We're just talking about how crowded things are, so maybe it's not that different. But you kind of knew he wasn't going to push 550 to 600 plate appearances, if, even if he were healthy with the Dodgers, because they mix and match really well. The White Sox depth isn't as good as the Dodgers depth. It's a notch below. So I think maybe there's a path for Pollock to do a little better. Supporting cast is still very good. I think the Blake Trinan situation. Ah, oh, so frustrated. As someone that thought Blake Trinan was clearly going to be the closer, who didn't mm. see the Dodgers on that list of teams where the Kimbrel trade was going to happen. Trinan's a tough hold right now because relievers that don't get saves, in if you're in a 15-team league and holds aren't a category, maybe it works. If you're in a 12 and holds aren't a category, do you roster guys like Trinan and Devin Williams who are behind a closer? And they've already said they tend to use Trinan as a fireman, which I didn't believe until they brought in Craig Kimbrell, who you only bring in if you intend to use him as a traditional closer, which they said they're going to do.
0: Yeah, I think the, the toughest thing is that when you look at in, in the rotor wire or the, you know, even the auction calculator, you can look at earned value last year. Let me see if I can do this real quick while I'm talking. But uh, you can do, you know, 2020 year to date. And when you do that and you look at relievers, you'll always find a non closer that, you know, oh, look at this. Colin McHugh was uh, the sixth best reliever last year and was worth
2: $11. What do you win? Seven
0: games? Eight games? Yeah, but did, like, would you. You'd have you'd have to know that Colin McHugh was gonna be that good ahead of time, which I don't know, Stuff Plus loves him. Maybe, maybe it's possible. And then you'd have to leave him in there and not get saves from the only position that can give you saves. It's not like when you have a second baseman that doesn't steal, and you're like, Well, I can get steals from my outfield, or or maybe even a real muto and uh Nate Lowe. You know, I can get twenty steals from there, right? You can't do that with. You can't just be like, oh, I'll get twenty saves from Carlos Rodon. No, you won't. <laughs> it's not gonna work that way. So you are gonna you are gonna shoot yourself in the foot a little bit with saves by even playing these guys. Chad Green is Chad Green is a good example too because he's perennially here. You could have him anytime and just plug him in, and he's been worth like seven to nine dollars a year over the last three four years. Chad Green seems like he should be on any on any fantasy team. He should be drafted in a twelve team, but he's not, because it's the only place you can get saves from, and you're not going to get saves from him.
2: Yeah, even if they make a change, it might not be him. It might be the Wiseguy. It might be someone else. Right. So I think my recommendation is, yeah, in a twelve team, team I
0: know that he could probably he probably return five six dollars value. It's just not the right shape of the value. It's not the it's not what you need out of that player. And I think in a in a fifteen team league, I might I might uh, hold him in some places um, wh- where it starts to be like, uh, well, it's him or I'm going to put Tanner Scott, the other guy that like I had on my bench that <laughs> saves. What I would do is uh, hold Blake Trinan, sell you know, drop Tanner Scott for. Whatever saves you're trying to get and leave like Trinan on the bench for a couple of weeks. Maybe we find out that Kimberl's hurt or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like maybe barely hold on to him, but not like really hold on to him. Maybe in a draft and hold, I will have Trinan in some desperate places where I just need to have some innings. Draft and hold, sometimes innings
2: itself, there's a little bit more where you just need the innings. And so Trinan's innings are going to be good. Is. Yeah, what he does when he's out there is going to be valuable. He probably will find seven or eight wins along the way. He probably will find a handful of saves on days where Kimbrel's not available or just, you know, when the, when the roles have to shift temporarily. Mm-hmm. But really tough to hold on to Blake Trin in shallow leagues without holds for the short term. This move, Pollock being gone, I think, is another little bump for Gavin Lux. And it could mm-hmm. have happened with Pollock there. I've been wrong about Lux uh, for a year. I've been hanging hang on to that for an entire year. I think he's probably their primary second baseman. Maybe because of their depth doesn't play a lot against lefties, but if he hits enough, there's a chance that he could earn that opportunity. I can't give up on him. And I, I've talked about him before as a guy that I think could surprise us with speed. He was 4 for 5 as a base stealer last year. I think he could get a 8 to 10 steal season from Lux now that he's getting more playing time. Maybe the power actually gets into the high teens or possibly the low 20s. The plate skills got better last year. The walk rate went up. The K rate came down. There were some things happening, even though it wasn't a great season for Lux and it was frustrating from a fantasy perspective. That still has the rumblings of a guy that could break out for me. And I'm more more excited about him now with Pollock gone than I was with Pollock there. Yeah, I mean, he's not
0: what people look for. He's not what people look for in front offices anymore. He's not what the game is going towards because he does not hit the ball hard. He has like a 4% barrel rate for his career. And uh, that's something we saw coming early on, and it's he's kept it up. But he does get on base. He does play good defense. He is a positive on the base pass. This team looks like they're going to need him. And so I think you're going to get like a 250 average, 18 homers, 8 to 10 steals. That's not, that's actually just bumping up the playing time on existing projections. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not faith casting here. You know, that's, that's the middle of the road outcome. That's, that's valuable, uh, especially at the positions where you'd be at. I think that the Hanser Alberto signing in retrospect uh, makes a little, little bit more sense uh, they gave him a major league deal when it seemed like you might be able to get him for a minor league uh, deal. But now with uh, Taylor probably being more of an everyday starter, uh, now you've got uh, Hanzo Alberto being the in- the infield utility guy. Uh, and maybe Kevin Piar or Pilar uh, being the outfield guy. Oh, I should also apologize. It is uh, Domingo and Raimel Tapia. Uh, excuse me for the other way I said it, and and oh, also Mark Canna, <laughs> not with the hard H that I was doing. So apologize yeah. on all fronts, but uh, yeah, Gavin Lux,
2: uh, Arrow is up. I thought you were going to hit Mark Canna with the uh, Guns and Roses pronunciation there. <laughs> <What was that? laughs> I'm not going to do it. Okay, it would be, it would be just. Ridiculous, but if you could hear it in your own mind, feel free to, to laugh about it and uh, tell us he laughed about it later. I'm in on Lux. I think he's up a couple of rounds as a result of this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a dummy, but the hard hit rate was good. I think when the hard hit rate is, is at least decent, I think there's reason to believe the barrel rate can improve. I think we've seen power, even though it came in some very favorable conditions with a very lively baseball at the A level. I think there's still a little more power to come. For lux plus we're talking One. about an organization that's done really well developing bats
0: that's right that's right that's what jake lamb said today he said you know why can't i get the bump like muncie and and turner and all these guys that have come here and, and taylor and been so excellent so you know maybe jake lamb makes this team but we were talking about uh, this probably being more of a boost for edwin rios um mm. on the back end uh, but we'll see. They may value Lamb's ability to play third. I, Rios is maybe a little bit out on that one, but uh, Rios has had a better track record of hitting the ball hard recently. Last note on the Dodgers for me is that um, I had Haney in the back end of the '90s going into the season because, you know, I liked some of the things about his spin. I liked some of the things about his strikeout minus walk rate and. The homeritis has been all over him this spring. I know he's trying to add a sweeper, uh, like a sweeping slider. I know there's still a chance for breakout, but I think uh, there's a possibility uh, he's in some sort of swing role and that the uh, four and five pitchers for this team are Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson has been pitching really well this spring and also is a more formed thing. You know what I mean? It's he's uh, especially if maybe you uh, could piggyback Gonsolin and Haney, uh, and make Tyler Anderson your four because you're just more sure that he can go five. You know, whereas with Haney and Gonsolin, Gonsolin's command, his history as a reliever, Haney's homeritis, maybe just a righty lefty combo them and do you know try to get six innings out of the two of them combined without uh, giving up a ton of homers. So. Uh, Anderson, I think, gets an arrow up uh, with just the way spring training is going.
2: Yeah, Heaney might be a very quick drop for me in the multiple places where I took the chance because I wanted to see if the Dodgers were right about what they saw in him and if he could make the adjustments quickly. Maybe it takes time. Maybe it never happens at all. Uh, But I do think he's going to be on that roster bubble (laughs) for these first couple rounds of cuts. You really
0: don't want to have him on your roster while he's figuring it out. (laughs)
2: Nope, no, you don't. I mean, they got plenty of alternatives. Mitch White, we've talked about him on the show. You could give Mitch White a prolonged opportunity. They got a couple of prospects. I think Bobby Miller's still hanging around camp right now. He's interesting. He looks he's good. Not far away, yeah. He Ryan Pepio's really not far away. They've got pitching in spades right now, so they can't just sit there with Heaney for ten starts if he's getting hammered and say, "Oh, this is fine. Just keep." Just they keep have the money to run. be like,
0: "Well, sunk costs. We'll move on."
2: Yeah.
1: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
2: Speaking of of sunk costs and moving on, Mm. Justin Upton, designated for assignment by the Angels, this is the final year of that contract extension that he signed. I remember the day that news broke. I was actually, I think we had just landed for first pitch Arizona. And uh, Mr. James Anderson and Clay Link and I were getting breakfast and one of them checked Twitter and they're like, whoa, Justin Upton got an extension. And all three of us just said, it's an wow. odd way to spend $106 million. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think all of us are on the, hey, pay the players. But I think right. for a team like the Angels that cuts a lot of corners other places, it seemed like a particularly odd way to use that much money. Upton had a couple of injuries in recent years. I think that has accelerated the decline you go back to 2018 a 121 wrc plus all the way back then popped 30 home runs that year 2019 and 2021 though injuries have been a huge part of it he's been below average since 2019 in terms of that wrc plus but the max exit velocity last season still in the top three percent the barrel rate is still there he has still been hitting lefties still hitting lefties which that alone now that the angels are footing the bill and any team that goes and gets him once he clears waivers. Yeah. They can use him just on the small side platoon. I think universal DH helps a lot too. He's going somewhere. I think he's still going to be useful. I saw people throwing out the the garbage can emojis. I don't, I don't think he's done. When you look at the underlying numbers, I can understand why the angels would just say, we don't want to send Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele down. We don't want to do that with them. We want them to play every day because we think they're good enough to play every day. And I, I don't disagree with that assessment. So on the one hand, I don't think this was a good deal in the first place. And yeah, Captain Obvious, you're seeing three years of injuries and and down performance. Uh, But I think they're at least acknowledging the best combination of players they can put on the field, thinking about short term and long term and saying a part time. Justin Upton is only going to cause problems for us uh, in the sense of not being able to play Marsh and Adele as much as we'd like to play them. And Upton was actually playing a little bit of first base this spring, too. He's been hitting the ball pretty well in handful of Cactus League games. So I just think it all comes back to health. At the very least, a small side platoon guy with big power who can play against lefties. But I think he ends up in a slightly larger role than that with probably another contending team.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit short-sighted by the Angels. I think there's still some value to be had there. I think the real key is not actually Marsh or Adele. I think it's Ward. Because you can have a team with Upton on it where you go Marsh, Trout, Adele, uh, Otani at the outfield in DH, and then Upton is backing up the corners in DH and playing against lefties, right? Like,
2: that's not an impossible thing to do. Especially if he's actually good enough to play first base. Like, I I think that was the other... Kyle Schwarber did it on the fly last year. If, If Kyle Schwarber can learn it on the fly, I feel like Justin Upton could be passable at the spot.
0: But... You know, I guess Ward has uh, you know, two ninety six. He's a almost a, is that a nine hundred OPS, two homers, uh, really nice uh, walk and strikeout totals. He's just been looking pretty solid out there. So I guess they just figured they want Taylor Ward uh, and more full time playing. I mean, I'm not pretending it's not about Adele and Marsh, but it's also about Ward because I think they wanted to have Ward on this on this team. So, I mean. Uh, they're probably a better team with the Delmar Ward. It's just surprising that they uh, that they're so inefficient with their spending and their decision making process. Like, you know, just cutting Pujols and then seeing him go to the Dodgers and having value in the same kind of role that you could have used him in. It's just weird, you know. And this is going to happen again with Upton. So, uh, you know, I, I, we've talked a lot about how they didn't really treat their employees right during covid their player development is behind uh, there's a lot of things that need cleaning up in in anaheim and i'm not sure that this uh, this new group of leaders is is necessarily doing it because they seem to be making uh, similar mistakes to what they've made in the past
2: it always makes me wonder if multiple front offices have this problem, how (laughs) much of it is just ownership, right? Like, like we'll get to see. Billy Epler, who I didn't think would ever be a GM again, is the GM of the Mets, at least for now, and he's got limitless spending potential, and the Mets appear to be interested in doing those other things that the Angels won't do, so we'll get to see how that one plays out. But I think the rot you see in Anaheim... That comes from Artie Moreno the same way the rot you see in Baltimore comes from Mm Peter Angelos. Like that's it's it's on that kind of level. So if you're an Angels fan, why does it keep going wrong? Why do you get these types of decisions more or less wrong? It comes from the top. That's ownership meddling. It's people that don't know the game telling the people who do know the game what to do in ways that then causes all sorts of extra problems that are avoidable for the most part. Yeah, it's just it's just a little bit weird to see Upton have the spring he's
0: having and look at this roster and be like, yeah, there's still a place for him on this roster and then see him cut like so close to opening day. So.
2: Yeah, I thought it would be four to six weeks into the season Upton not hitting in a part time role and then a DFA it, You know, if he didn't hit. But I think he's going to hit a little bit. So curious to see where he lands in some deeper leagues. He actually might be relevant, but certainly good news for both Adele and Marsh. They get a little bit of a bump here. Uh, as uh, the late part of draft season plays out in these next couple of days lots of other news to get to so we're going to fly through some of these emmanuel class a got a five-year contract extension for the guardians might be the last true closer right if we go five years into the future oh my gosh. And it's, tw- it's 2027 and every team except the guardians has a committee Emmanuel Class A might be the first overall pick in 2027 fantasy drafts.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. And I will still, I'll just be older, just more grumpy,
2: <laughs> just yelling about it.
0: I, no way, Clase should be going number
2: one. <laughs> Shaking my fist. I'll never take a closer at 1-1. I took one at 1-6 last year, and he lost his job by the yeah. end of April, and I'm never doing that again. Well, your 2026 season is going to be rough. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. He's got user control left, but uh, gets the extension. Probably has as much long-term job security as any non-Josh Hader reliever in the pool right now. Because Hendricks is old. Liam Hendricks is old. If you're a keeper or dynasty league and you're trying to hold down some saves for the multi-year future, Class A might be your second best option for that, given all these factors, so a little nudge for him in those formats. How about Matt Brash opening the season as the Mariners' number five starter? Both he and Reed Detmers have earned rotation spots. We'll start with Brash. Uh, A late dart for the better part of the last couple of weeks. This is certainly going to bump him up to, I would think, at least 275, 300 overall in terms of a pick range, kind of back where we were talking about some pitchers in that range a little earlier. We were talking about would you rather's like Cal Quantrill and Josiah Gray. I think he's at least going into that cluster, if not even a little earlier.
0: I pushed him all the way to 82, where the would you Rather's would be Aaron Ashby. Uh, I would take Brash. That seems appropriate. Brash is in. Uh, Ashby is not, I think, yeah. uh, at least to begin the season. Uh, up against Tony and Tristan McKenzie. Uh, uh, honestly, I like Brash's stuff better. I could push him harder than that. Uh, Up to Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, like back end 70s. Um, I think once you get to the late 60s, you're talking Patrick Sandoval, Waskari Noah. I don't know. There's there's just a little bit more track record. uh, You know, maybe a little bit more. uh, It's a bad word, leash, but like a little bit more. Like if Brash comes up and struggles, like it's pretty easy to send him down and bring up Kirby or bring up one of the other options, you know. So. Um, you know, they're you know, uh, and uh, and Sandoval will get to struggle a couple times before they 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 get sent down um, because I, they don't even know if they have options. But that's my point: is uh, I think that it gets hard to throw him all the way into the into the '60s. But if you want to take him over Joe Ryan or Bailey over, I'm not going to stop you because I'm a stuffist and Mad Brash has the stuff, <laughs> and Ober and Ryan don't. Uh, but the projections will say take Ober and Ryan. So. Maybe just take him over Elisir Hernandez and Tristan McKenzie because he's hot and he's throwing really hard. And there are uh, some stuff numbers out there that uh, agree
2: with what the eyes say about Matt Brash. I am adamant. Uh, I'm with you on Brash. I think innings could be more front-loaded. I think as they bring up George Kirby and maybe other young starters, Brash could end up as more of a multi-inning weapon out of the bullpen come August, September, worry about that when you get there don't sweat that too much right now because there's a world in which he pitches well enough and then they start messing with his workload around the all-star break and they try to keep him stretched out as long as possible he could be if you're asking who could be a luis garcia type this year matt brash could be that kind of pitcher that could that could happen
0: and he can get to 120 innings without um without it being much of a push i mean he got to 95 last year
2: yeah so i and they may have a they may be willing to pull him to like 140 or something. That wouldn't be that surprising if if he's pitching well. Reed Detmers, I think I've I think I've got as much Reed Detmers as I have of any pitcher that goes in the was in the post pick 400 range. Now he's more in the the back of the 300 and climbing. We've talked about him before, believed to be the most major league ready pitching prospect of that 2020 draft class. I, I think I'm just gonna keep fighting this battle. Until I lose enough times to give up. But I think when someone comes up at debuts and looks as bad as Reed Detmers did, Edward Cabrera gets this sort of label too. So it's not just Detmers. I don't have a fascination with this one player. You come up, you pitch about 30 innings or less, and you just get rocked. And everything you did before that was really good. The pitches are good, the command's supposed to be good. I'm in. I'm buying in after the ugly of the ugly ratios, and Reed Detmers is firmly on my, yes, I will pay the increased price list. If he's going around pick 250, pick 275, I'm still in because, yeah, it's a six-man rotation for now. He's probably their third or fourth best starter, and they might lose one of the guys even ahead of him in that order. So I think he stays in this rotation all year, and he ends up being one of the better young pitchers in the pool this season. Yeah, I just
0: wish he pitched in a stat-cast park for the f- f- spring training because I have not seen stuff numbers for him uh, this spring. The stuff numbers last year for Eduardo Cabrera were at 103, and for Detmers they're at 95 or 96. So I think there's a fair amount of difference between those two. Uh, I prefer Eduardo Cabrera. However, Eduardo Cabrera probably doesn't have a rotation spot, so nanny-nanny-boo-boo, boo, you know, stick your head in doo-doo. I am that's exactly
2: not, where I was going to go with that.
0: <laughs> I'm not all the way in on Reed Detmers um for those reasons. Um I have him around where I have Reaver San Martin and Carlos Hernandez who have slightly better stuff numbers. Uh Madison Bumgarner who is throwing 2 miles an hour harder this spring. Um and uh and Luke Ooh. Weaver. So that's the low
2: 100s. Madison Bumgarner basically free everywhere. Him throwing a little harder. It doesn't take a lot for Bumgarner because of his extension, too. You add a couple ticks there, even if he's 91-92 or 92-93. That's pretty good. Opening weekend starter. Mm. What's the matchup?
0: Mm, I forgot <laughs> <laughs> So
2: in, in 2027 when you're drafting Emmanuel Class A at 1-1 and I'm still Drafting pitchers that got rocked In small debuts if that's still Happening then I will willingly Submit my face To be used on the label of like a, a Paste like a, you know like a jar of paste I will find a company that makes paste and say Put my face on this jar Padres at home Okay Padres at home could be all right. I'd be alright with that no I mean, if you're
0: looking for an opening weekend starter, it's not, it doesn't get worse. It, does, it gets worse than bats and bumgarner. It does get and worse somehow just a little bit of strategy. If you are in a free agency auction uh, bidding situation, like Brash may go really, really high. You know, it's and be if you gross, and if you don't want to spend uh, like two hundred dollars out of your thousand dollars on the first weekend on a, on a young pitcher, uh, what you can do is put in a make good offer on Brash. And then put like five pitchers below it, you know, and like put some good, like nice, modest bids, and then finish with Madison Bumgarner for three bucks or something, and uh, you'll at least have something good that come out of it, and you'll keep a little bit more money for later. And uh, you know, it might be the right, it might be the right choice.
2: There are stranger things that have happened than Madison Bumgarner at 32 years old becoming fantasy relevant again
0: especially since the humidor in Arizona has made that a much more neutral almost pitching friendly part.
2: 118 whip last season also lower than expected he came with a 4.67 ERA but usually you don't see those two numbers that far out of whack so some the stuff numbers he was one of the biggest
0: stuff uh, risers in the in the in the second half last year which very very much
2: surprised me I love the cheap bid Love that. The first first couple of weeks, everyone's eager to spend their money, and there, sometimes there are players you have to go get because you got injury issues, and there's mm-hmm. great opportunities that have presented themselves. I understand it, but the contingency bids end up being really sticky players for your roster that come at a tiny fraction of the actual price. I feel like we haven't talked about Blake Snell this spring, and I, I realize that the reason why we haven't talked about Blake Snell this spring is that he <laughs> just debuted in the Cactus pitching. League on Thursday, one in the third innings, uh, four walks, no strikeouts, likely going four to five innings in his first few outings when the season starts. Like, I, w- mm. what's going on here? There's like a little bit of I, a I disconnect between those two nowhere. numbers. How's he going to get to
0: four to five innings? He's going he's gonna to go three innings next start and then just jump up to four to
2: five. He threw 45 pitches. Uh, in, in that one and the third. So he'll go to 60 next time. Then he'll go to right. 75, the, the outing after that.
0: All right. So it's possible. I'm actually not as worried because he never had good command, you know? And so I just, I, you know, I think that he didn't have a great outing. This is always possible for Snell. Snell has huge break, you know, bad outings. And he's, a little bit like the girl with a curl in terms of like you know very very good or very very bad. <laughs> I don't know where that came from.
2: <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm not even going to think about it. Uh, Jesus Lazardo <laughs> has had a nice spring. Is he kind of also in the the group of pitchers we were talking about earlier? Kind of like that Detmers cluster. He had a higher ADP to begin with, so you're probably paying a premium if you want to get Lazardo right now. But the spring numbers. 10 K's three walks in 11, two thirds innings last time out four and two thirds with three strikeouts, just one run allowed. That was against the Astros. I don't know if that was an a lineup or a B lineup, but is he fixed? Cause Jesus Lazardo carried a lot of buzz the last few draft seasons. And this year he has been very affordable, relatively speaking.
0: Yeah. Uh- i just have to admit i might be wrong about him i stuck to where i have him uh because of uh poor stuff ratings and uh you know i've had a very up close and and personal uh you know view on him here in in oakland and i just i didn't see it for him however uh you know i've seen some stuff numbers they're better this spring he went to a new organization that maybe had some plan for him uh, in terms of how to change his, his sinker and his seam, which were the problem. Um, it's certainly possible that I'm going to be wrong on him. And uh, right now I have him uh, about 120 next to like Dane Dunning and Nate Pearson and Mitch White as sort of like, you know, maybe it works out. But the difference between him and like Mitch White is – Lizardo probably has a roster spot, a rotation spot to begin the season, so uh, you don't have to wait as long to figure out what you've got. So he should be higher, maybe. But I just, I until I get those sweet, sweet Statcast numbers, uh, I'm a little bit in the dark on what the changes have been that they've made. And sometimes a guy like him can look better, a lot better, in shorter stints because he's throwing harder. So we'll have to see what he looks like in five
2: yeah I would say to begin the season, I look at Lazardo as someone you're probably using as more of a home streamer and a two start pitcher. You're not necessarily throwing him out there week after week for the first month and and just letting it rip in mixed leagues, but getting a few few starts with some uh, some stat cast numbers will go a long way toward giving the model and idea if a lot has actually changed for Lizardo. I would rather have him on my bench.
0: (laughs) You know, I'd rather have him on my bench for those first few starts because it's been pretty bad for a while.
2: Seems fair. Uh, Last news item to pass along, Garrett Crochet undergoing Tommy John surgery. So tough break for him. That White Sox bullpen, no Kimbrel, no Crochet, still very deep, still very good. But if we reach the point in July because of a couple more injuries and maybe like a downturn in performance from one of their high-leverage relievers where the White Sox need to go out and trade for bullpen help, it's going to feel awful.
0: That's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, they might have uh, something really interesting in Ronaldo Lopez if Michael Kopech is the fifth starter and Vince Velazquez is the sixth starter and Lambert or Stever, Stever might be hurt too, actually. Let me see this. White Sox placed receiver so. on the 60-day injured list. All right. But uh, let's say uh, Lambert and Velasquez are your pitching depth. Um, Lopez could be an excellent, excellent late-game reliever. So they still go bummer Graveman Lopez, and they're waiting for Kelly to come back. So there's, there's still a lot that has to go wrong for for uh, for that bullpen to fall apart, I think.
2: I hope for their sake it doesn't, but it would just be one of those strange things like, oh, yeah, remember when we thought their bullpen was eight deep? Oh, it's only three (laughs) or four deep because of all this bad stuff that happened. First couple of things already in motion. We have to go. Uh, Oh, there were a couple emails that passed along suggestions. One from Ani suggested a clicker so you don't have to reward your dog with the, the yes or like cue your dog with the Yes. Dog clickers are very good.
0: I wanted to uh, I wanted to apologize. I didn't mean to uh, disparage uh, all dog psychiatrists or or, or <laughs> say that it was all Lark. And in fact, it seems to be working. My dogs now, uh, when we go on walks, look for other dogs and look for other humans because they know they're going to get a treat. It hasn't worked completely yet. It's not like we can go up to those dogs and hang out with them. But uh, it's a start. And uh, I appreciate that there's been a change. I used to watch uh, Cesar Milan and I used to watch the dog whisperer. And this is very different from what it used to be like. And I appreciate there has been a bit of a dogma change when it comes to dogs.
2: Yeah, but I do. I do think the clicker is the way to go. Mm. I agree. With Ani on that one. The other email that I thought was interesting had nothing to do with baseball. It was a question or it was a response to allergies. We talked about allergies because it's that time of year, everything's getting all stuffy. I use this one too. Jeff suggested if you have bad allergies and you've had them most of your life, which actually does describe me until recently that cutting out dairy temporarily you might find that your allergies aren't as bad and if that's actually making your allergies worse then you know to keep cutting it out you'll find out pretty quickly if it helps Uh, he said everything used to destroy him and once he cut out dairy he could basically do anything outside that he couldn't do before so well since i got that that email
0: i have stopped eating cheese now i haven't cut out butter because it's butter can't cut out uh, butter. Butter is so butter. You expect but, me to? Uh, do? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> but uh, I have cut out cheese. I usually throw some cheese on my sandwiches or cheese. I can't have pasta sauce, so I would throw some. You know, I do cheese uh, in my pasta. I have not had cheese in a week. I actually, you know, I, the the allergies are haven't been as bad as they were. But I think just generally, I feel a little better. Uh So uh, my wife is like looking at me like. You better still buy me my cheese.
2: Yeah. Well, no, dairy is, uh, <laughs> causes inflammation. So it yeah. may be causing the inflammation that's making you feel worse. Give it a shot. We're not doctors. This is just a life hack that was passed on by a listener of the show. We appreciate the rates and barrels life hacks because life's challenging enough. We want to make it a little easier for everybody out there if we can. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can email us, at theathletic.com. I know emails have been piling up. We'll start to catch up on those now that the season is about to start. As I mentioned earlier, a live 3-0 show coming Wednesday. Time to be announced on Twitter. We're still working on the details of our actual schedules that day, but it's a big season preview episode, which will be on the YouTube channel, but it'll be in the Athletic Baseball Show feed, so be sure to check us out. Over there. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on opening day. Thanks for listening.
1: Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events?
2: We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub